Green Future Growers, welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube Live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them at mikescreengarden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? I wanted to add, we've been... um, doing these on zoom and then they're going to facebook live we have to get to a thousand subscribers on youtube before we actually hit youtube live but you can join on facebook live so uh that's actually where i go to get the link so join us ask your questions and um come laugh with us to teach people how to farm and garden so taking a lot of my farming knowledge and putting it into an app that we're launching next month for free Awesome. All right. Well, I'll introduce you and we'll tell listeners about it and go through the questions. And my show usually runs about 53. I, I'm on Progressive Radio Network in New York on Monday nights and they like a file. It's 53 to 58 minutes. So okay. it usually comes out that way by telling me to do the questions. It's fun. I always tell everybody it's super easy to edit. So if you need to put me on hold, let the cat out, help your daughter, whatever, don't hesitate. We don't have an interview after this, so I'm good. I don't, you're probably busy, but. And then just, uh, can we turn our video off? Because I just don't Absolutely. have the bandwidth to save that. But since everybody wants to say hi these days, we're all star for human interaction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny because, you know, like, like my mom for so long was like, no zoom, no zoom. And, and then about November, she's like, I was like, you know, mom, your friends can call in if they can't figure out the computer thing. She's like, no, we all want to see one another because we haven't seen each other in so long. (laughs) And I was laughing after like my brother and I are like, just do a zoom meeting. It's not that hard. You don't have to look at each other. She was always like. Oh, we're old ladies. We don't want to see each other. And then it became, we want to see each other. We miss each other. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's put Uh, a lot of people that uh, haven't been in contact in a while back in contact. Yeah, right? So it's been like, you know, some meetings are funner than others. And maybe the ones you have to go to aren't as fun as the ones that you get to go to. But more people are getting to go to meetings and you know, doing a lot of it, if you're on your computer working full-time, it's not as much fun as, like, if you get to, uh, I go to this laughter yoga once a week that it's, like, I've made this new little group of friends there, and then I just got off a call with some women we started doing a thing with, and it's just kind of fun to see each other once you find a group to connect with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my mom's a writer, and she's 
joined a writing group. I think it's based in the north, in Maine or Vermont or somewhere. And so now she has this whole group of friends from all over the all over the United States that you know, yeah. never would have gotten before. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I started doing a um, <clears throat> an illustrator meeting with other painters, and we met for the first time. Um, was it last Saturday or the Saturday before? And it was just like, ah, my people. <laughs> where have you been all my life it was super fun so yeah it's weird okay here we go welcome okay. welcome to the green organic garden it is saturday march 20th the first day of spring 2021 and i think we're all excited about this so i have an awesome guest on the line nathan heath he's an organic farmer and he's down in austin austin texas and he is here to tell us about um things that he's been doing and what he's got going on with his brother so welcome to the show nathan <laughs> hi jackie thanks for having me i appreciate it well i'm so excited to meet you i'm so glad you booked this and tell listeners and me a little bit about yourself because i gotta say nathan there wasn't all that much on your website i didn't think or i didn't find so deep well, um, so I guess uh, a little bit about myself. I was actually born on a farm in southern Arizona, um, one of five kids. Um, we then moved to New Mexico, and then from there I moved to Texas. So I got married, had kids. Um, I've been involved in agriculture pretty much most of my adult life, everything from um, small-scale farming. Um, most recently, I had a have an 11-acre farm outside of Austin. I've been involved in huge, you know, monocrop type farming of 50,000 acres. I've been involved in the beef industry. And like I said, I was actually born on a farm. We had a hog farm. So that's kind of a little bit about me right now. I'm working on a new project with my brother where we're taking a lot of my farming knowledge and his technical ability and combining it together into a new app that we're releasing next month for free to help people learn how to garden in their area. So how does uh, the app, how does that work? Like they plug in, I want to grow carrots and it says plant them on this day? Um, so our approach is a little different. And what we've kind of noticed from a lot of apps and even websites is you have to have a certain level of mastery to know how to do things. So the way we're designing it is regardless of where you live, you can enter in your zip code and then it gives you a curated garden plan for your area and time of year. So, um, you know, down in Austin, for example, I've seen apps that say you should plant broccoli in July and that is definitely not the time you plant it here. Um, you know, the last you really want to plant it is about now um, because it just gets too hot in the summer. So that's what we're focusing on is um, geospecific gardening information and then we'll um, generate the seed list you need for your area. Does it based on what you like to eat though? Or like, how does it, it just knows like what's growing good and you can pick what you like to eat or? Um, it will have the option for preferences. So say if you just don't like beets, you can click don't put uh, beets in my garden plan. Uh, but generally what it'll do, it'll, uh, generate a plan based off of what grows best in that area at that time of year. And then we mix it. So we're not gonna just fill a whole uh, whole box off of one crop. So kind of try and give people a nice selection. Um, 
you know, we do give the option, like I said, for preferences and things like that. Cool. Well, certainly there's tons of new gardeners out there. And I see, <laughs> I've seen a lot of the different Facebook groups, lots of mistakes going on and people, I think the number one thing I see people doing is either starting their seeds too soon or not realizing how much space things are going to take up and they're just planning. So, you know, not realizing that one eggplant or one tomato is going to produce like a huge amount of produce and like they've got like 75 tomato starts or something or you know i saw somebody the other day with like 85 celery plants all in this tiny thing and we're like you know each one of those celeries is going to become a you know like the celery you buy in the store you've got enough celery there for a whole year where are you going to keep it what are you going to do with it? Um, you know, where are you going to grow it? Because it's going to get a lot bigger. You need to transplant them in different trays. We have, uh, what did I, I planted snapdragons. And I think I have 75 snapdragons in a little square that's like three by two by three. And they're all going to have to go in their own little individual. Like if each one of them went in a milk carton and I had 75 milk cartons, that would take up a whole yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do with them all. So, yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure, new gardeners could use some help, even us kind of older gardeners. Yeah, a lot of people have a hard time picturing when you know you have a small tomato transplant. Now, depending if it's a determinate or indeterminate variety, how big it's going to be in 60 or 90 days. And so they overpack things, and then at the 60-day mark, they start getting all these fungal issues because there's no airflow and things aren't growing because it's so packed. So, yeah, definitely especially for first-time growers when they haven't experienced the growth habits of a plant uh, it can really pack things a little too tight for sure i'm nodding my head for sure <laughs> so how did you learn how to garden organically like did your family do that um i mainly learned to start with from my mom so she's been a lifelong gardener um, and organically i when I started growing, um, there wasn't really a thing. Uh, so, you know, my mom's kind of a, a, a hippie at heart. So she just kind of took the, those growing practices and taught me. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of carried on. And I've always loved being outside. I'm a very physical person and I always just enjoyed that. Um, and then when I was about eight or so, um, we were part of 4-H. And I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but it's usually tied to County of Services. And I had a gardening project, and that was kind of my first real memory is when the county agent, uh, Mr. Bob Pate, came out to inspect my garden. And I still remember being so nervous because it was a, a stranger kind of telling me if I was doing it right or not. But I did get a passing grade on my garden and have pretty much been uh, gardening since then. Um, so, you know, my mom's kind of been an early mentor, and then since then, I just, you know, voraciously read and uh, talk to other farmers and just try to experience as much as I can and you know learn from my mistakes which there's a lot of I'm so so you know I usually start out the show asking about your very first garden experience but then you kind of told us how you grew up but like what did you grow in that garden that the inspector came to see well this was in New Mexico Albuquerque. yeah I do I do because uh, it led to my first uh, official business actually 
Um, I've always loved tomatoes, and New Mexico is an amazing place to grow tomatoes. It's got hot, dry days and cool nights. Um, so I don't know if I've ever grown tomatoes as well as I did there. So it was mainly a tomato garden. Um, my mom had planted a bunch of apple and cherry trees that kind of lined the back of it. Um, but I pretty much, I, that's all I remember growing actually was tomatoes. So. <laughs> Oh, so what, uh, what grew well this year? Tell us about this year's garden. What was the success down there this year in Texas? Um, well, so, uh, you know, we had a lot of things run really well. Then we had that crazy freak. Uh, I was curious you know, about that. No, yeah, it, it definitely hit a lot of things. Um, we had just planted onions in our customer's garden. So those actually all survived. Um, but prior to that, um, you know, we were in the full fall swing. You know, we live in a great climate, and one reason I chose to farm here is you can grow year round. So we've been growing some great broccoli. Um, you know, producing some one and a half, two pound crowns, uh, lettuce. I always enjoy growing lettuce, um, especially for for new people because then they can harvest it and they can grow back if you're doing the salad mix. Um, kale, I particularly like uh, the winter borer green curly kale, the real hardy variety that tends to go really well here. Um, so now we're actually already planting tomatoes and peppers, the whole summer stuff. I just planted uh, some zucchini squash and yellow squash and uh, cucumbers the other day. So we're, you know, I know a lot of places haven't even started planting yet, but we're very lucky that uh, we can already jump into the, the summer stuff. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And when you say you're planting, like you're putting that in the ground outdoors, are you putting seeds in the ground or starts? Uh, so all the tomatoes and peppers, uh, it's all transplants that have grown out. Um, I, I often, for the first planting of the squash and zucchini, um, and even the cucumbers, grow starts as well. As the season goes on, if I'm going to do a succession planting, I'll do a direct seed. Um, so pretty much everything going out right now, the summer stuff is from transplant. So when do you start those as baby seeds? Uh, let's see, generally try to start um, in mid-January. I try to have them six to eight weeks old. Um, that's on the peppers and the tomatoes. The squash we usually put out in less than two weeks. They're pretty fast growing. Um, and same with the cucumbers. How interesting. Uh, what's something that like you're excited to do different next year or something new you're going to try this year that you haven't tried before? Well, one thing we're kind of, we're, we're prototyping is uh, an automatic watering system um, where we're using a moisture sensor and it's hooked to an automatic watering valve. And then my brother's written a program um, that tells the sensor when to turn on and off based on the moisture sensor. So this is the first year um, we've been able to beta test that. So right now we have it in a four by eight bed that's growing tomatoes and peppers. Uh, it's been completely self-regulating for about a month now. And so I'm excited to see how that turns out because I think that could be a real benefit for people. Um, one yeah, that could I be a game changer. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's hardware. So there's a lot of, lot of issues and things to tackle, but we're excited about that. It's fun. Um, a crop that I really like and I haven't grown in probably five years, um, is it's sort of a mix between a tomato and a tomato. They're called ground cherries, particularly the one I like, Goldie. Uh, they just have this really kind of tangy, sweet flavor. 
you do have to let them fully um, ripen until the husk turns actually brown, they fall off the plant. Otherwise they can kind of cause digestive issues. Um, but I'm excited about doing some of those again, just because I love the taste. So I was talking to JM4TA about those and he was trying to come up with a fun way to harvest them. You got any good tips for how to harvest them? <laughs> um, I actually have read his book. It's a great book. Um, the way we kind of came up with on our farm was we held them pretty high and then on each side of them, we put um, like landscape fabric or weed barriers. And then when they fell, they would fall down into that. So then we could pick them up off that. That was the best we had come up with because yeah, um, picking them off one off the plant or trying to get them underneath the plant was, was pretty time consuming. Cool. Uh, how about something that didn't work the way you thought it was going to, is there something that didn't go the way you ha had typically like any challenges <laughs> last year? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's always the, the failures in farming and, you know, so last year we started a business where we installed raised gardens at people's houses and then helped them maintain it. And one thing I was kind of surprised about was, you know, so they're spread out throughout Austin, um, you know, probably, I don't know, three mile radius or something like that was the extreme microclimates, you know, and it could be a mile apart and how dramatically that was affecting everybody's crops. So, you know, one customer, um, would have great tomatoes and great peppers and then one just a mile away hers was just suffering with fungal diseases and you know they were generally getting about the same amount of light but there was a lot of differences with air movement and things like that so that was really surprising and kind of the realization that every garden is its own microclimate that you sort of have to learn how to grow in again so you know when you're farming in the same area for a while that's your microclimate so you learn little things but really i don't know why it didn't dawn on me but every house um, is going to have its own microclimate so really being more aware of that so I had some some failures with tomatoes and peppers due to that um, you know uh, so on those particular places that have less air movement I'm going to have to really spread them out further this year or really try and focus on compact varieties that don't leaf out as much different things like that um, so that was a that was a pretty big learning curve that I I you know wasn't expecting to be honest You know, I talked with this guy, Justin Romer, down in Arizona, and he talked about microclimates and how the benefit to playing with those microclimates was you could actually, like, up your zone a couple or lower your zone a couple to grow different things by kind of, like, managing it and, like, planting things close to a wall if you wanted, if you needed more heat or different things you could do but for sure like it's amazing how where we are just um like in town which is eight miles north of us they have three weeks longer like their crocuses will be coming up three weeks ahead of ours and their you know things will be blooming three weeks ahead of us their lilacs and their you know they're they're going to be harvesting ahead of us it's like amazing and then even like our house is kind of on a hill so like things will freeze differently in different places even just on our property you know where you have shade so that's an important thing yeah for sure and then also just like even in a bed like you were saying if it's not getting proper airflow um all essential things it's a, and, and that's a good reason to hire somebody like you who will come and do um 
and I probably should give a plug for our Grow Live because Patty has been doing coaching calls. If you join our Patreon thing, um, she's been helping people kind of do things like that. Um, oh. And then you're doing it down south in in Texas and New Mexico and places, right? Do you do virtual ones or do you just do like locally? Um, right now it's all in person um, and all the free time is spent on developing the app. So like so for, say, for example, for our app, there's 40 different zip codes for Austin, and we can run data oh weather gosh. analysis. And uh, so my brother lives about five miles away from me, um, but we both live on the same side of Austin, on the west side. And there is several degree differences between our house and our average frost days and these different types of things, because I live up on kind of a hill that tends to get more wind than his place. So it's been really interesting to really dig into the actual data that we've gathered and see the differences. And then also, you know, when you're talking a major city, you know, Austin's about a million people now. So that's a lot of thermal mass that retains heat in the winter. So they'll often be three degrees warmer than where I live just for that full reason. So, you know, it, when you really start getting into it, it's pretty exciting and fun, I think. Awesome. I was doing a lot of research on Austin because I was I was telling my stepdaughter like you should move to Austin like the best one of the top hundred high schools in the United States and get my granddaughter down there because she doesn't like the cold. I'm like, what are you doing living in Eureka? It's like one of the hardest places in the world to make a living, and her um, fiance that she's living with like goes to Alaska to work and then comes back. So I was like, it would be an easier airport. You would, you, she, if you can live anywhere in the world, what are you doing in this place where like she's scared of bears and she doesn't really like camping? And I'm like, why don't you go? Like I was like looking at colleges and one of or high schools. I was like, one of the best high schools is in Austin. Plus, I always hear it's such a fun town and there's a big music scene and there's great food and there's tons of jobs. <laughs> I was like, why are you in this place where it's like so hard? You know, we have the second highest unemployment rate in the state of Montana, which is not an easy, like I grew up in New York. It's like one of the toughest places to find a job anywhere. Like I am here because I love, like every day I'm just like, getting to look at the mountains doubles you know your paycheck and like i have hiked almost every mountain and like i love to drive on these roads and she hates it i'm like what are you doing here you're with this you know you have this chance to move anywhere he gets a free flight you know check out the school in austin maybe you guys should move down there anyway totally off topic but yeah yeah it's definitely but, booming down here and it, uh, it's not cold you know besides that little freak storm we had uh it definitely is warm most of the year. Uh, for me, the summers are a little brutal, you know. We do get often over 100, uh, and we have high humidity. But, you know, majority of the year, it's really amazing weather here. Now, what's it like? We have lots of lakes. She does love to go camping at the lake in the summer. Like, what do you do in Austin? Like, do you have pools? Do you have lakes? Where do you guys cool off? Indoors in the air conditioning? <laughs> <laughs> um. So Austin is actually split in the middle by a river and they dammed it up. So that's a huge um, place for people to go yeah, like and, a and stuff. Yeah. And then there's uh, Lake Travis, which is just to the West, which is uh, pretty large. Um, there's Barton Springs, which is a natural spring that they uh, turned into an area since the thirties. Um, Texas has uh, a ton of man-made lakes. So Texas is real big on making their own lakes. 
Um, you know, there is some state lands. That's the biggest drawback coming from areas that has more BLM land is there's not a lot of open space. Um, so that's kind of the, the biggest drawback to here, but there's always plenty of stuff to do. Yeah, and see, like, now that's what my husband and I love. We are surrounded by national forest we spent like our favorite like one of the most romantic things we do is going to get firewood which she hates (laughs) you know like i love driving through the woods and like i hike like all summer long like i go to the woods with my dogs and you know hike on the trails the one thing that's funny about me is i'm not the biggest fan of heights (laughs) so moving to montana wasn't i didn't know that until i like got here and the first time i climbed a mountain was like ah i slipped down on all fours (laughs) totally terrified but now like after i planted trees i can hike over that mountain i'm not always in the best shape but i've you know i'm i'm older i've hiked almost every mountain i need to hike and i can i can still if i need to yeah um anyway totally off topic there but just uh good to know about different parts of the country and what people think and like the funny thing is i tell my husband so i went and lived in new mexico once for three months and um i was headed home to new york for thanksgiving i left the day after halloween i'll never forget we went to this halloween party and the next day and i was going to drive through texas and the south and then you know and then when i got over just to see some different states and things and i made it to texas like the northern panhandle and got stuck in a blizzard and had to get mm-hmm. a hotel room within my first 24 hours on november 1st so i was kind of laughing at everybody down in i mean not laughing but i was like you know i i know what it's like but i austin's a little further south right like in it sounds like your snow is gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, when I first moved to Texas, I moved up by Lubbock, which is closer to the Panhandle. And they often get snow. And you probably got stranded on the 40 corridor where they have blizzards. Uh, so it's yes, common up there. Exactly. And they didn't suffer. You know, they never even lost power. But down in Austin, you know, our, our frost depth is two inches. Um, you know, so, you know, the city was completely shut down from that storm. And that's really just the difference is the city's not being equipped to deal with it. Um, so, <laughs> Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms if you want to be a better farmer you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine that's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf and then the other thing part of growers and company is there he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied you know he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book the market gardener if you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um 
and they've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co. And now let's get to the root of things. So Nathan, this is where we get to the part of the show I call getting to the root of things. So like, do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Something you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do? I really don't. I am very fortunate that I love every aspect of it. You know, if you stay on top of things, one thing I hate is if I let weeds get out of control. And this was more an issue on farming. It's not an issue for me on garden scale, but, you know, um, when I would let any weeds get out be. of control, um, it that is... I, I, it's almost OCD. I like things to be really neat and clean. Um, and I don't mind weeding when they're small, but I hate weeding when they're large because then I'm just kicking myself the whole time that I let it get out of control. Uh, but honestly, I love every aspect of it. I still, you know, to this day, find seed sprouting just a really cool thing. Um, there's just, you know, I don't like pests, but it's not that, you know, I wish they didn't exist, but it's part of gardening. So, uh, but no, I really love all the aspects of it. I love shoveling compost. <laughs> I like compost too. That's one of my favorite jobs. Uh, so on the flip side, like is seed sprouting your favorite thing or what's your favorite activity? Probably. I always, uh, there's some, you know, uh, just that, I don't know, the hope and I don't know, the newness of seed sprouting and always planting something new. Um, I do like this shifts of season from, you know, winter to spring, um, you know, taste varieties and just different growth habits and things like that. Um, so yeah, probably, probably seeding is still my favorite. Um, I love planting anything that's root-based because that's always, just, I don't know, super cool to me. You plant a carrot seed and, you know, in 60 days or, you know, 80 days or whatever, you pull it out and there's this amazing carrot underground that's been hiding there. Uh, I still think that's so cool. Yeah. I am, my favorite, I think, is like the transplanting when it's like instant garden, like you take those out and you take the bed and all of a sudden it like looks like a garden. Like to me, like the, my husband has so much patience. I don't know, maybe he can vision it better. Like I've been going crazy this year trying to vision, you know, maybe it's the artist in me, like when I look at a painting or maybe because I've been doing painting longer, like I'll look at a painting and be like, oh, it needs more blue here, or it needs green there, or this needs to change. 
I've been down to the garden this year and I've been like drawing designs and I'm like, this is going to go here and this is going to go there. And then I'm like, I'm just really frustrated this year with that part of like, I can't plan, I can't naturally vision what's going to happen. I'm getting a little better. Last summer, one of the things was like my kale got so many bug holes like it was like beyond the point where even i could eat it and so i actually ordered those beneficial nematodes and so then Mm -hmm. i was like wait but i'm not putting the kale here again next year i gotta rotate the bed so where am i gonna put the kale next year that i want to make sure these beneficial nematodes get into and then i didn't even put them in the bed that i'm pretty sure i'm gonna put the kale but um yeah that's that's one of my struggles is like being able to vision what it's going to look like and then also just the patience for that stuff to come up but that's yeah, I, like, I, I like your passion up, for everything i'm sure you know being up in montana you know is a you have a longer non-growing season so i would probably get more anxious as well and be now when it is time to plant i'd be ready to rock and roll so i could definitely see why especially up in your area, the transplants would be much more fulfilling. <laughs> well, we're getting there. I'm getting a little overwhelmed with like all the sprouts we have in the house, like, which my husband <laughs> is probably ready to bring my neck because he's like, why did you buy all these seeds? Why are you buying more of those? And like, he didn't really, he's like, oh, snapdragons, they're so itty bitty, teeny tiny. And like, I have this tray of snapdragons that probably has like 75 snapdragons in it. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but I missed like I felt like last year I just didn't have enough flowers like bright colored flowers down there I didn't have enough annual so this year I was like marigold zinnia snapdragons marigold zinnia snapdragons and sunflowers those are always my favorite anyway we're supposed to be doing the lightning round the quick question oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> the kidding of the root things and then here I'm like blah 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 anyway Nate what's the best gardening advice you've ever received um so the best i actually ever received was that gardening really is about failing not success and you need to learn from the failures and so that's kind of something i've always told myself it's kind of a mantra is if you're not failing you're not farming um sometimes it can be disheartening when you put so much effort and love into something and then you know a freak storm comes by or complete crop failure um so i try really hard to always learn and always pay attention to what i'm doing so then if something does fail Hopefully, I've become a better grower for it. Um, so, you know, that's probably the best advice I got early on. So, wouldn't take failures to heart too much, and you know, think you're a farmer of death or something. So, what was the biggest lesson you've learned? What was the biggest fail that broke your heart, and just you were like, oh. Probably the biggest absolute failure was from Hurricane Harvey because we ended up getting. Um, 48 inches of rain in an eight-day period so that pretty much just killed everything uh. um, there's nothing obviously I could really do about that situation um, but one thing I did learn especially as a commercial farmer is you have to anticipate failures so when you have good crop yields and you're doing well you definitely need to bank money um, that was one thing that you know kind of saved us from that um, so that's probably the biggest thing I've learned on commercial farming is you know always try and save money because it's not if you're going to fail it's just when well, that's great advice. How about, do you have a favorite tool? If you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Uh, yeah, the, honestly, this question kind of stumped me. I had to think about it for a while. And, you know, I kind of came up with a lot that I absolutely love. And then kind of the odd one that I think I really couldn't live without is a five-gallon bucket. 
Um, you know, when I'm picking peppers, I sit on it, put the peppers in it, use it to haul water, use it to haul soil. Um, I just find them really useful, actually. I agree. And I worked at this restaurant and listeners, if you're looking, there's probably a restaurant near you where you could get like, they, um, I was amazed at how many five gallon buckets that they put out their back door to be recycled, which in Montana, we don't even recycle plastic anymore. So, but I would take those buckets home and they are so handy for sure. We use them for everything. Yeah. Especially my husband's been hauling soil back and forth from the big pallets of soil we got to the house to plant all these little baby seedlings and transplant them into bigger <laughs> containers. Yeah, transplant the soil for your snapdragon. And nobody <laughs> has said a bucket yet. That I think that's awesome advice. When I first answered this question, my first thought was a shovel, but then I realized it was a wheelbarrow. And we definitely will put several buckets in a wheelbarrow because my husband's mini farm is kind of a ways away from the yeah. house. And then last year, I finally splurged and bought one of those little carts, you know, mm. so you can fit two five-gallon buckets in them. So that's been handy too. Yeah, I went through um, the same progression. First, it was a shovel. Then I was like, well, wheelbarrows are really handy. I love wheels, you know. And I went through all these different ones. And then I was just like, well, What's the most universal thing that I can get the most done with? <laughs> the other reason I picked the wheelbarrow was it's way more expensive than the shovel. <laughs> and I was like, there was like a year where we had like a flat tire and we didn't have a wheelbarrow. Plus, like, I like to have a wheelbarrow up by the house and then one for the firewood and then him have one for the mini farm. It seems like constantly arguing about where's the wheelbarrow and shifting it back and forth the other one i don't yeah. think i could live without anymore is a broad fork do you have a broad fork do you use one of those yeah we do have a broad fork and something a lot of people i don't know have used and the inventor actually lives in austin it's called a cobra the little hand tool yeah um, they sell them on johnny's and this is a really universal little tool you can use it to weed fast you cultivate you can dig holes to plant um, and the design, which is amazing, is it self-sharpening. So as you're going oh. through the soil, it seems to just constantly keep it sharpened. I've had one for, I don't know, close to a decade now, and I've never sharpened it. A so, lot of people uh, have been recommending that. Yeah, it's, uh, it does not look like it would be an amazing tool, but we have, we have three of the hand ones and then several of the stand-up ones. <laughs> Good to know. How about... A favorite recipe what do you like to eat or cook from the garden well unfortunately i'm not the greatest cook but one thing i do love is pesto so um when it is basil season i love pesto i will eat an absurd amount of it um and then i being that i spent a lot of time in new mexico i love chilies hot peppers i pretty much love all peppers um so i do love roasting green chilies um and mess around with different recipes for doing that with cherry wood and you can kind of instill different flavors so that's probably my favorite thing to do um you know but my weakness is pesto <laughs> uh we used to make a pesto mayonnaise um to put on sandwiches at this restaurant i worked at that was so good i like just to put a basil leaf on my food like mike finally I finally have a fresh basil in my windowsill and I've already been just like, 
and yesterday I ate my first arugula that I grew this winter. Leaves. Oh, nice. Yum. Nothing <laughs> like fresh herbs. Oh. How about uh, a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? I am sort of an addict of information. I've definitely got that from my mom as well. Um, you know, books were always a huge part of our life. And so I've always grown up reading books and reading as much as I can. And I thought about that. I really don't have like a one-stop shop. I go to a lot of places and I'm big on validating information. So if I read something, then I'll go research it to make sure it's correct. Just unfortunately, there's a lot of disinformation um, in the gardening world. I don't think it's intentional. I think a lot of it just happens. Um, so I really kind of look everywhere, to be honest. Well, I think a lot of it comes from what you were saying is just how different the microclimates are and something that works in Texas might not work in Montana. And like I was on this homesteading virtual summit the other day and one of the people was telling somebody had asked a question. He was saying, you know, talk to your extension agent. And certainly a lot of my guests have said, talk to your neighbors because they're going to know the best and, and for what works in your region um how about a book to recommend um well several that i've read uh john forte martin's book is a great book if you're looking more for the commercial scale i think he's got some really innovative ideas there um i like elliot coleman's book um from a, a general more about the food economy the deep economy by bill mckibben's a great book uh, you know, I like the Square Foot Gardening by John Bartholomew. I do think uh, some of his suggestions is he packs things a little tight, like we were talking about before. Um, but I think any of those, you know, kind of the classics that have been around a long time um, have a lot of good information. And then, you know, research things yourself and validate that it works for your area. Wow, those are great resources. Yeah, Bill McKibben's like so one of my heroes. I want to work for oh, 350.org yeah. so bad. Um, <laughs> and just, uh, and JM48, the garden. They're all good. Ellie Coleman, Square Foot Gardening, they're all great. So now tell us about the app. Like, does the app work on the internet or it only works like on a smartphone or a tablet? Like, tell us, tell us all about the app. Here's your time sure. to pick your product and all that kind of thing. <laughs> um, it'll work. It's, so it's going to be a web-based app. So you can use it from your home PC. You can log into the website from any smartphone or tablet, anything you like. Um, and the basic principle is to make gardening really easy. So what we've kind of experienced with a lot of our customers is they're very busy in their life. And they don't necessarily want to become master gardeners, but they want to have the the joys and the benefits of gardening. And so the idea is we'll kind of lead their hand on the best way to do it. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, if you log in from anywhere, you enter your zip code and then it generates um, a suggested garden plan for your area. If there's certain things you don't like in that, you can take them out and they'll suggest new things. And then um, you just hit accept the garden plan and you know, we'll provide you with a free email um, that shows you what you need. And we, you know, on our website, we have, um, blogs on how to build basic garden plans and we're you know, adding more information there. Um, so, you know, our dream is just to help as many people as possible grow more food. So that's kind of what we're at. Um, you know, there's a lot of the technical back end stuff that um, my brother Luke works on. So he, you know, as I got obsessed with gardening early on, he got obsessed with computers and technology. 
taught himself to code when he was 12 and then kind of went up that ladder and has worked for some of the big corporations in our country, um, developing products for them. So he's more the tech savvy guy. I still am more <laughs> traditional farmer side, to be honest. Um, but we're launching on Earth Day um, next month. So uh, if you want to check that out, our website is cultivatetex.com and you can download it for free. Spell that for everybody. Sure. Uh, C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-E-T-E-X dot com. T-E-X like in Texas? Or T-E-C-H? It's T-E-X, right? Yeah, T-E-X. Just for the website. Just down. Abbreviation for Texas. So text. (laughs) Oh. Uh, It's just when you said it it sounded like it was like tech and i was like wait wasn't it ex but um uh, i I might have a texas accent now even though i'm not a texan i don't think i do but i might no it actually has to do with this other podcast that i work for that like i like my job is to fix their transcripts and like i just spend most of my time fixing the names of the companies and and that was oh, in my shit. head from yesterday. I was like, is it RecruitX? What is, how do you spell that? <laughs> so anyway, completely off topic there. Uh, well, awesome. All right. Well, gosh, are we at my final question? Here we go. It's a doozy. Nathan, if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? So I think it's several prong approach. I think the first one is we need to do a better job of preserving farmland and not developing it all. Um, it's a huge issue in Central Texas. The land prices are skyrocketing and pretty much making it almost impossible for new or beginning farmers to even buy land and a lot of the real good farmland in the area has been developed because it's cheaper to develop so i would like to see somehow um you know farmland trust and different things like that you know i believe in private property rights so it's a complicated issue and i don't want to force anybody what to do with their land but i think it's something we need to seriously consider and address um the second problem i see is there's you know, a large lack of knowledge, particularly on the larger farming. Um, you know, it tends to be a generational thing that's passed down. And, you know, like in my family, for example, there's five kids and I'm really the only one who ever wanted to be interested or involved in ag. Um, my kids don't want to be farmers. And so what I see a lot is um, more urban raised people wanting to become small farmers and they don't have the knowledge. So I do feel, you know, there are people trying to solve that gap, but we could do more there. And then lastly, I believe um, every citizen needs to get more involved in growing food so they have a better understanding of it and an appreciation of the whole cycle of growing food, what it takes. Um, We have a lot of hidden costs in our food supply system, which I think need to be discussed. That There's one reason our food is kept so low is by, you know, um, poor farming practices and how uh, workers are treated. So unfortunately, I don't think there's just a magic pill, but I think everybody becoming more aware and involved and growing food at any scale is the start of the solution. Nathan, you're not a rock star millennial born between 1980 and 1995, are you? 
No, I I was born seventy eight, so I'm a little older. <laughs> that seventy eight to eighty three ziennial age, I'm telling you, I'm writing a book about the rock star millennials, but I think it's going to be a follow up book on the ziennials because there's a lot of my guests are in that age and just um. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you booked this call and I didn't cancel this call. <laughs> and we got to hear your just passion and so much of what you're doing. And I hope listeners check out your website. Spell it one more time. C-U-L. Yep, that's Cultivate. So C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-E and then T-E-X dot com. CultivateTex.com. But it's for anywhere, right, in the United States? Yeah, so the way we have the, the data set up is that you can use it anywhere. Uh, and theoretically, I mean, we're not going to be rolling this out. Is that We could possibly expand to being a global. Obviously, that's a little further down the road, you know. And, and my eight-year-old self always dreams that maybe someday this information will be useful for growing food in space. But that, that's, that's another topic. <laughs> Well, it, you might be surprised how that comes to, uh, I was listening to this podcast and this woman was saying that in five to 10 years, they're like, humans are not going to be working. We're all going to be thinking and hanging out and like AI is just going to artificial intelligence is like computers just grow so much in, exponentially that they are solving problems faster than the human brain's ever going to be able to keep up and just um you know so who knows what's going to happen in the future like i it sounds like there's some pretty big changes coming in this first half of this 21st century pretty rapidly so um, yeah that's, you know working on this with my brother i've been exposed to more of that um and it's it's really interesting as we enter in all this data and you know my knowledge and collected data how fast the computers can gather information. Um, I mean, they can go through all of our cultivars and generate a custom gardening plan based on your area in a split second. It's, I mean, it would take me 10, 15 minutes and it could do it in a blink of an eye. It's just, I mean, it's a little discouraging, but also amazing at the same time. <laughs> For sure. And as JM Fortier says, small scale farmers are changing the world. So, Absolutely. you know, we still need people growing and and making healthy food and connecting us locally. And um, thank you so much for making this accessible to everybody and sharing your passion and your knowledge and all the great things you're doing with us and your family and your state and community and um have a great day happy Absolutely. spring you letting me on yes uh, hopefully you get to plant soon yeah hey listeners have you been to growers.co james fortier's newest venture he's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps taken his classes put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine he's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you, the Canadian Exchange is great right now. 
Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats, um, and you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy and, um, deserving of, uh, uh your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Hey listeners, are you wondering how you can grow your own healthy and nutritious food with confidence? Have you been frustrated as a gardener? Does the thought of weeding make your back ache? Have you tried to grow a garden before and found you can't even keep a plant alive? Does the cost of organic produce in the store make you cringe, but the thought of bugs in your garden make your skin crawl? Well, we have the answer for you. Freegardencourse.com. It is so easy. You enter your email. You will watch a video right there. You can get my Organic Oasis checklist, our Essential Tools checklist. It all shows up right on the thank you page. Freegardencourse.com. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.